0: You can go ahead and start turning to the book of Ruth. We're going to take three weeks to do the whole book of Ruth, which I thought, this is a short book. We can do this in three weeks. The more I study it, um, this is going to be a very broad study of the book of Ruth. There's no way that we're going to be able to get to all of the detail that Ruth gives. There's no way that we're going to perfectly understand every word, every translation, every... Every little hint of truth that is throughout this whole book, everything that we could apply, we're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is look at Ruth as a picture of how Jesus ultimately makes us whole. Jesus ultimately um, is satisfying. All those things that we were just singing, how, how Jesus is, is the only one who is perfectly capable Of filling us up, making us complete. And here's the easiest way that I can make that make sense to you, okay? Your job is to not respond at the end of this sentence. Do not. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. (laughs) Who's that hurting? Who's feeling that? You are. That, I know people that that would, that would just destroy, right? Right? Because, because we all know how that goes. It's all the way to the end. And then you sing that last note that would be so satisfying for some of us to hear right now. But you're not hearing it. That phrase is what? It's incomplete. And, and by virtue of knowing what wholeness or complete feels like, by knowing the end of that phrase... When we're missing something, when we don't get that last note that we're looking for, when we don't get the resolution or the the, the completeness that is offered by just going all the way up and hitting that last dough, we're left feeling like there is something missing. There is something that is eating away at me that I desire. And Ruth is going to give us a really awesome picture of what emptiness feels like. Especially this week. This week is kind of the depressing week. This is the week where we get, get the empty life picture, probably that many of us can relate to. Many of us can say, oh, that's just the way I am. And what we're going to find out is that there are a couple of different paths that we can take when we're met with a broken situation or a feeling of emptiness or a feeling of incompleteness. And Ruth is going to do a really good job of not only showing us the two options that we can kind of take, the two two mindsets that can kind of overwhelm us when we're left in those sorts of situations, but it's also going to show us how that gets fixed, how that gets repaired, how everything gets made whole. And once we we felt the emptiness that chapter 1 today is going to show us, once we felt that emptiness... Or are reminded that that emptiness is a thing for others as well as ourselves. It's not just on us. It's not just something that only we are going through. But it's something that that any number of people could be going through. Probably all of us have gone through at some point. Once once we accurately are able to comprehend this idea, this feeling of emptiness, this feeling of of being incomplete. Then that's going to make the picture of wholeness or seeing something made whole, seeing something complete, be so much more beautiful to us. And that's my goal. My goal is that by the end of the three weeks that we're going to take going through the book of Ruth, that we will more appreciate the wholeness that comes from knowing Jesus and the feeling of being made complete, feeling of having everything make sense, um, not feeling as though we lack anything anymore. We'll hopefully be to that place where Jesus is ultimately what is satisfying to us Jesus is the perfect fulfillment for every bit of emptiness that we may feel. And we can say what we were just singing. Take the world, but give me Jesus. I don't, I don't need that. I have him. So that's my goal. The biggest, the big concept, and, and we're going to get to this in the next couple of weeks, that we've got to think about going in is that we don't, we don't just stumble upon wholeness. We don't just make ourselves complete. That's not, that's not the way it works um, as we're reading through here, we're going to see a bunch of different examples uh, along the way of things being made whole, but they're being made whole by actions of others, kind of speaking into someone else's life, or working in somebody else's life, or, or performing some sort of loving act for someone else. So we don't we don't make ourselves whole. We don't make ourselves complete. Um, it is we are we are made whole. We are made complete by a selfless act of love by someone else. In most cases. That's by God. God, we just finished talking about it the last couple of weeks. God was the perfect selfless act of love that was sent to make us whole. And, and that's, that's basically the whole message of Ruth. So that's the, whole, the same message that we've been preaching about Jesus. Is just going to keep getting, you're just going to keep hearing it. You're going to keep hearing it spoken over you. Um, but, but in Ruth, it, it's very apparent that that's the way it is. In Ruth, um, the word that they use, and this is the typical word used throughout the Old Testament used to describe a selfless act of love for someone else is hesed. And we're going to be using that, and that word is going to be in here several times. Uh, it's, it's the Hebrew word hesed. It's, it's if you want to write it in English letters. I'm not going to give you the Hebrew because I didn't, I didn't want to figure them out. It's H-E-S-E-D. So hesed. Um, and that's usually an act of selfless love for someone else that's, that's usually found within a covenant relationship. So I have entered into a covenant relationship with you so that I can do something beneficial to you, something loving, and kind for another person, for the benefit of another person. Typically, it's for the benefit of another person who's in some sort of real desperate need. So it's not like you're going to somebody who has everything in this world that they need. And you're like, I want to give you a loan. That, that's, not, that's not the kind of act of self. It's, it's finding the person who has nothing, finding the person who doesn't know if they're going to eat later today and saying, I'm going to give you a meal. I'm going to provide something for you that you do not have, something that as of right now you cannot attain for yourself. That's what Hasid is talking about. So I'm going to enter into a relationship where I say we're going to, we're going to be in this together and I'm going, to, I'm going to provide something for you that you, you desperately need. And a more powerful person is typically blessing somebody who's in a weaker position. I mean, if you're looking at our relationship with God, that there's, there's, nothing, there's no bigger gap that could be found, right? God, creator of everything, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, entering into our lives and offering us salvation, something that, that we could not attain for ourselves. And he does it voluntarily. He is not required by any means to do anything for our benefit. But he does this selflessly out of love, voluntarily, not because we deserve anything. So so we're going to see lots of pictures of this. We're going to see pictures of people who are taking steps that they are not required to take in order to bless another person who is in a weaker, more desperate position than they are. And what we're going to find is in... Every case that we're going to see in the book of Ruth. I was thinking through to make sure that I'm not lying to you. In every case that we're going to see in the book of, Luke, <laughs> book of Ruth, um, those actions are taken by the people that you would not expect. People that, that have no reason to take this sacrificial step to do something beneficial for another person. Today it's going to be by, by a Moabite woman who's blessing an Israelite woman. In most cases, especially when you're reading history of Israel, you would tend to think that the Israelites would be the ones who are, the, who are blessing the others. You would think that that's what would make the most sense. But yet we're going to find that it's, it's the people who we least expect who are often the ones who are performing the most selfless actions. So we're going to have three characters that are going to perform Hasid in the book of Ruth. Three characters. They're going to be Orpha and Ruth, who are two Moabite sisters, and Boaz, who we'll get to next week. And all of these are an attempt to take something that is empty, something that is broken, and make it whole. So let's go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 1. Because what we've got to do, if we're going to understand the euphoric feeling that comes from being made whole... We have to feel the weight of emptiness. And that's what we're going to get to right here in Ruth chapter 1. Verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab, Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These, these took Moabite wives. The name of one, Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both Malan and Chilion died, so the, so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. OK, so right from the very beginning, we're given a picture of emptiness, a picture of brokenness right there in verse one. Right. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So already the characters that we're going to start following are from a land where there is nothing. There is no longer food for whatever reason. And we can, and Naomi will think later on that this is God being after her. For whatever reason, God has seen fit not to give them a bountiful harvest. There is not enough food to go around. So a man takes his family and says, we're moving. We're going to go try to find somewhere else where there is food. But also, so, so, there's, a, so there's a lack of food, but also there is a lack of leadership. There is an emptiness of leadership in Israel, right? During the days of the judges, if you've, if you've ever read the book of Judges, no... I would almost say no more depressing a book can exist because it's just simply a cycle of Israel continuing to fall into sin and not continue to seek God as their king, as their leader. Ultimately, to be given a king because they wanted to look like everyone else. So they kept pursuing the gods of other countries. They kept wishing they had kings like other countries. So so we're immediately given a picture of a broken society. No food, no leadership, and so they leave. They go off into the country of Moab. And very quickly, Naomi's life is made very empty, right? Her, her husband's name was Elimelech, which means my God is king. So in her mind, not only, what we're going to find out, not only is her husband taken from her, the, her, her, her picture of God as ruler over her, as loving to her, is taken away from her as well. So, so she loses her husband, but it says, but she still had her sons and they got married. But what we find out is even though they get married, they take wives. Neither of her sons are able to give her grandchildren, which if you have grandchildren, just make you so happy, right? Right. Grandchildren make you happy because there's somebody that's hilarious to talk to and tell you all sorts of truths that that you did not know. Because that's what grandchildren are good at. Honesty. But but she wasn't given grandchildren. She 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 had lost her husband and her sons were not able to have children. And then her sons died. Right. I mean, if you look and, and, it's, and it's interesting that it gives us the names of her sons, um, her son's names essentially mean sick and dying. Right. So this is what this is what she's around. She is around everything in her life is slowly crumbling around her. And so she really loses everything that she held of value, right? Everything that, okay, so we were, talk, we were singing. I'm just going to keep using this song because it's just perfect for what we're talking about. So we're saying take the world. Her world was her family. Her world was her husband. Her world was her son's. Her world was the hope of having grandchildren. And she lost all of those. They were taken away from her for whatever reason. We, don't, we, we aren't given the reason that God allowed her family to die. We're not, we're not told why these things happen. But, but they are taken from her, and she loses everything that to her is important and culturally is, is vital to her means of staying alive. Right, a, a husband is there to provide for you, to do work, to bring home food. If your husband dies your hope is then that your children will take care of you just like my dad right he 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 is now in the position where he is taking care of his mother for the rest of her life that is now his responsibility that's why i am so glad that my parents had more children yes. sure because whenever they get old or thank you <laughs> i didn't even say it <laughs> We can share that effort, but but that, is, but that is the social responsibility of the children. When their parents get to the place where they can no longer provide for themselves, it is the children's responsibility to take care of their parents, and she's even lost that. She has no means of taking care of herself. She's living in a foreign land where, where we don't know how welcome she is. We just know that they went there because there was food. So, so she is as em- her life is as empty as can be because those are the things that she would have put her stock in. Her husband and her sons, and they are gone. So this was a terrifying position for her to be in. She didn't know how she would continue to feed herself for the rest of her life. So the um, only option that she had, we learn about here in verse 6. So let's go ahead and keep reading. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law... each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Stop right there. So hearing that back home was getting better, Naomi's thinking, well, I guess the only option that I have is to let's go back. So she got up and she started heading back. But then she realized the difficulty that probably she had been living through as a foreigner in a land. And she did not want to put Ruth and Orpah through that struggle. She said, there is no reason for you to come back, live as a foreigner with me, live as a poor foreigner with no hope for 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 any sort of real restoration Right. This is the place that, that Naomi is at at this point. This is where she is. This is her mindset. There's no reason for you to come back and struggle with that. So she says, "Return to your family's house." Basically, she's saying, "I release you from the value you made to my sons. You can go home, have find new husbands, start a new life, and, and I pray that and she basically says, she blesses them and says, "I pray that the kindness that you showed to my sons." Right. The kindness. That's that word that we're talking about has said you have shown you have shown selfless love for my sons in such a way that now I wish that God would do the same for you. So she's saying, I pray that God would bless you as you go back to your family because you have been kind to me. You have been kind to our family. You have you have loved my sons and you've loved me. You've been loyal to us. So thank you. But I'm not going to hold you to the promise that you made. She's essentially saying, it is too difficult for me to think of putting you through what I know I have to go through for the rest of my life. So it would be easier for you if you just went home and continued on. And, th- and they disagreed with her. They said, we want to come with you. We, 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 we are with you till we get there. We're, we're going to stay with you. We're not going to abandon you. And then she builds this kind of logical case as to why it's a bad idea for them to follow her, right? So she takes a few points here. First, she says she is too old to remarry and have children. That makes sense, right? She says it is highly unlikely that I'm going to get remarried. She says even if I did, right? So let's go. Then she starts playing the odds. Even if I did, and even if I were to end up pregnant with a son tonight, how long are you actually going to wait? For my new son to grow up, which already to me is just like, ugh. Right? Because they were already old enough to be married. I'm not sure culturally what age that was. I'm not going to even take a guess. But, but to wait even that long again, that means you're going to be at least double the age of your spouse. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sitting there thinking even that suggestion is enough to make, to make me think that they would go, you're right, good point. Good. Yeah. But she says. so she says she's too old to remarry. Even if she did, they're not going to be willing to wait the amount of time that it would take for her new sons to grow up and be old enough to get married again. So there's no point in them hoping that she could provide new husbands for them. And then third, and this is where we really start to get into the mindset of where Naomi is. She says the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. She basically feels like she is, in a sense, cursed by God. God is out to get her. She, she has offended God in some way. He saw fit to take the food out of the land and run her out of her home only to kill her husband and take her sons away from her, leaving her with nothing. So what she's saying to them is, there is no reason that you should want to. It's the same idea as like a person with leprosy in the Old Testament. Like, Like you cast them out of the city. You don't want to be around them. God is judging them for some reason. We don't want to be near the person who's cursed by God. And that's what she feels has happened to her. God has cursed her. And she's saying, there is no reason for you guys to want to be around me. Because maybe some of that curse is going to rub off on you. Like, like you are, you are in a bad position if you are staying with me. This is where she, she's saying, in a sense, she believes that God is out to get her. God has some agenda, some vindictive agenda against Naomi to make her life as miserable as he possibly can. And she's saying, there's no reason for you to come with me. Because... God is going to continue to do these same things to me as he has for the last many years of her life. And she convinces one sister, right? It says, it says Orpah, 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 I keep wanting to say Orpah. I guess I'm dyslexic. Orpah, Orpah agrees. She, she gives her a kiss and she goes on her way, right? But it says, but well, it says what? It says Ruth clings to Naomi. That is the same word, from Genesis chapter 2. When God created man and woman and he said a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Right? He says, you leave your old family to be united to your wife, and when you are united to your wife, that is a permanent thing. So so the word there is to, is basically saying Ruth is holding on tightly to the covenant that she made when she married Naomi's son. Just because he has died and she has been offered a release from that, she is going to say, I am still committed to you. I am not going to leave you. I am fully invested in this relationship, no matter what the cost may be. And I think that's a good, that's a good reminder to us of what the level of commitment is in a covenant relationship. Because that... Because we, we have marriage relationships where, in our culture today, we, we completely set aside the importance of that covenant. And, and it's, well, you can get out of that anytime you want. It's not that important. We make too light the idea of covenant relationship with one another. Because that's a perfect, because that's the image of our relationship with Jesus. He enters into a covenant with us. He enters into a relationship with us. And he's not going to let go of us either. If he's in a relationship with us, he is not going to let us go. And that's the picture that we're given here by Ruth. Not not by the Israelite who has has known of God her whole life, but by the Moabite woman who has lived in a pagan society. She has a better understanding of covenant relationship and long-term commitment to another person than does the person who should have heard it their entire life. She's trying to send her away and say, no, God, God has dealt bitterly with me. God is out to get me. You should, you should go. And she says, I'm staying with you no matter what. And she holds on to her and she won't leave. So let's go ahead and keep reading. Verse 19. No, no, no. Verse 15. Sorry. Verse 15. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. And to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So again, she takes one more stab at trying to protect Ruth right, from staying with her, from, from living the life that she is now basically saying, if you come with me, you have to know I have nothing. I have no hope. I don't even really trust that God loves me at this point. That's what she's saying. She's saying it would be better for you to go back to your family and just go back to worshiping the gods that you've already worshipped. She's lost faith in her God that much. That she would just send her back to a pagan society and say, you have a better chance of living a better life if you go there and you don't stay with me. But what Ruth says, she comes back She says, where you go, I'm not leaving. Where you go, I'll go. Right? Is that? Can everybody hear the Chris Tomlin song in their head right now? Right? So where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay, right? That's, that's what that verse says. That is, the two, going and staying are like two opposite things, right? They are, they, are, they are set apart, they are showing contrast, and we're going to see a lot of that in the book of Ruth, setting up contrast to make a bigger point. So where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay. What she's saying is, wherever for the rest of my life I am with you, no matter what the situation may be, whether we're going, whether we're staying, whether we're arriving, whether we're leaving, whatever it may be, if if, 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 we, if you are alive, I am there with you. I am not going to abandon you. It's the exact same idea that we were talking about with covenant relationships. This is a permanent thing to Ruth. This is a permanent decision. She says, I do not care what the consequences are. I am in this with you to the end. And Naomi doesn't fight her anymore. She doesn't fight her anymore. She says, she said no more. It doesn't say that she necessarily... Liked it, she didn't agree with it, but she could tell that Ruth was determined. There was no reason to continue putting forth any effort to move her from this decision. And then Ruth basically sets up, she says, if I was to ever back out of this covenant, as bad as you think it is on you, I I wish that God would do worse to me. Like she's saying, this is how committed I am. She is betting everything that she has On this relationship. This commitment that she has made. I will not abandon you. And if I do. May God heap more curses on me. Than he's ever heaped on you. Her her reaction. Is one of. Okay. Right here. Ruth shows more faith. Than any other character in this book. Toward God even. She says I will serve your God. I will come be with your people. I am willing to. Let go of my entire life that I have back here. Leave my family, leave my culture, leave everything that I've ever known, and I'm going to remain committed to you, and I'm going to remain committed to your God. Which, which, is, which is an amazing contrast, because we see Naomi, who is losing all faith that she has in her God, and yet Ruth has more faith in Naomi's God than she does. And she is more able to live out that faith than Naomi does, even though she is the outsider. She is the one who has no life experience. She is not the one who has been brought up being told who the creator of everything is. She does not desire to return to her God. She sees, she sees that her commitment to this is infinitely more valuable than the life that she has lived. And then verse 19. So the, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay. So again, I said that Ruth's going to do a really good job of setting up contrast to make a bigger point. So Naomi is going to use the meaning of her name to contrast what she wishes her new name should be or what she thinks her new name should be. Naomi means pleasant, happy. And she says, there is no reason for you to call me pleasant because I am not pleasant. I am bitter. Call me Mara. I'm changing my name to represent my emotional state right now, which is that I am bitter against God because he has dealt bitterly with me. This is where she is. This is where it all kind of comes to a climactic point for her. We've seen it kind of seeping through a little bit by little bit by little bit, but here she says, no, no, no. God has dealt bitterly with me. Just call me bitter. Because that's who I am and that's who I'm going to continue to be. I am, I am done. She's essentially saying, I am done with dealing with the pain that, that God has given to me. I, I, I have fully accepted that this is the place that I'm in because God doesn't like me. For whatever reason." We may feel like that sometimes. I don't know. You may feel like God has put you in this kind of a place, and He's dealing bitterly with you, and it's just that He's out to get you. You may feel that way, and you may, and, and you may be left with nothing. You may have had everything taken away from you. You may lose some important relationship, or a, or a parent, or you may lose a job, or you, whatever it may be. You could lose something that you think is of. A great deal means a great deal to you. It's very valuable to you. And 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 she says that she has come back with nothing. Right? Has anybody noticed anything there when she says I've come back with nothing? Poor Ruth. (laughs) She didn't come back with nothing. She came back with somebody who just finished saying, "I am committed to you for the rest of my life." This this is where this is the place that Naomi has gotten. She has gotten to the point where. No longer is she even willing to see the good that's in her life, the the hope of restoration that's in her life. It's not like like there is still a famine in Israel and now there's a famine in Moab. It's not gotten even worse beyond that. She's come back to a place where God has begun to bless them and give them a harvest. But she is not seeing that now. She has so welcomed her bitterness. She has so loved the mindset and emotional state that she's in that she is now unwilling to see anything other than negatively. I have come back alone. God has dealt with me bitterly. There's, there's, there's nothing in my life of any importance. And Ruth's sitting there saying, come on now. I don't know that she's saying that. That's kind of how, that's, that's how I would be thinking. Ruth's probably saying, man, I just feel bad for her. She's in such a bad place. Because that's, that's kind of the person that we see in Ruth. We don't see a person who, who gets frustrated or bent out of shape or, or she, she just seems to feel sorry, compassion for Naomi. Her, her compassion and her overwhelming love for the commitment that she's made to her is more important to her. So, so she's, she's, she's just an afterthought to Naomi. All of this commitment, all of this um, time that she is saying she's going to give to Naomi, and Naomi is still not even recognizing her for it. So she says she comes back with nothing and maybe we feel like we have nothing or everything that matters has been taken from us or or we are completely empty. There's nothing left of any value to us. Our life is in a terrible place. Maybe that's where we are, but maybe we've just missed the fact that there is something right there that is perfect for us, that is committed to us, that that is willing to commit itself to us for the rest of our lives. Maybe we have just gotten so... We've so locked in our vision on the bad stuff that we've missed the big picture. In Naomi's case, it's that there is Ruth who is there, who says, I will do whatever I have to do to make this work. I am here with you. Or maybe in a broader, broader scope, like I was saying at the beginning, maybe it's just the fact that we don't see that, that behind the scenes, God has written a perfect story and he is, he is here for us. He is, he is wanting to enter into a relationship with us and make us feel complete. We have, we have two options. We have two options when we are met with a broken situation, when we are faced with emptiness. We can either be like Naomi, who sees all the negative and says, God's out to get me. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And we can, we can just double down on our frustration, our, our anger. And we can just continue to just sit in it and stew. At times, I'm really good at just sitting and stewing on my sin, right? If I get angry, I would much rather just sit and be angry sometimes than deal with it, right? So we can just double down on our bitterness, or we could be more like Ruth, who, again, Naomi keeps making this all about herself. Ruth lost a husband, too. We think about that. It's not like Ruth hasn't had anything taken from her either. She's lost her husband. She lost her hope forever being provided for. As of now, she has no hope of having children to take care of her in the future. She's in the exact same situation as Naomi. But yet, she doesn't resort to being bitter, to being angry with God, and to not desiring to do anything. She, instead of doubling down on her bitterness, decides that I'm going to double down on my commitment, my covenant, my my reliance on this commitment. And in a sense, she's doubling down on her reliance to God. In the face of emptiness, in the face of brokenness, in the face of nothingness, she's saying I can rely on God. I can rely on the creator of everything and I can commit fully to him and trust that this is going to work itself out, that he has a plan for what we're going to do next. So we can be like Naomi or we can be like Ruth. And at times, we're probably a little bit like both of them. It's easy to get angry and stay angry. But, but hopefully, and I pray that as we are reading through the book of Ruth, that, that it's going to train our brains to recognize this situation. To recognize our reaction to negativity and ask, make us ask ourselves, am I just being bitter? Am I getting frustrated with God? Or do I realize that none of these things matter and I should just rely more on him and trust that he is working something good out? Those are our options. We can get angry or we can double down on our trust with God. Because because and even right here, we're given a picture right at the very end of chapter one. The last couple, the last verse there. We're given a picture of hope already. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So already we have God answering the very beginning of the book. Verse 1, there was a famine in the land. There was no food. Already we see that there is hope and that God is giving them food again. He is already blessing them again. There's already going to be something for tomorrow. It's not like he's wiping us all off the face of the earth today. There is more to come. It doesn't just end with this emptiness. It doesn't just end with this brokenness. That also serves as a transition to chapter 2, which is where we're going to get into next week. And we're going to see how significant the barley harvest was in working out God's plan of redeeming this, this situation. Restoring brokenness to wholeness. Cool? So let's go ahead and pray. God, when we're faced with difficult things, when when times are tough, when 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 we are frustrated by our circumstances, it's so easy to just get angry and give up. It's easy to just check out and move away and move on and just say, "I'm going to go somewhere else," and I'm not going to continue to let this this dominate. I'm just going to run. It's such a temptation for us to give into. And God, I just pray. that that this week you would you would put in our hearts a desire not to be angry at our negative circumstances but instead to see that you are working out a perfect plan you are working out something that is bigger than us something that we cannot begin to comprehend or understand what you're doing but God I know because I've already read I've already read the rest of this book I know what you're going to do I know that you're going to take brokenness and make it whole you're going to take emptiness and make it complete and god i pray that you would this morning give us just a glimpse of what it looks like to be made whole show show us our brokenness our emptiness take the things that are going on in our life and say but these are not the things that matter my son is the thing that matters and god i pray that you would give us a heart that would desire to be made whole, but, but not to try to find our wholeness in something here, not to try to manufacture a satisfied feeling, but instead that, that we would just desire your son, that Jesus would be what we want. Jesus would be what, what defines us. Jesus would be what satisfies us. So, God, I just pray that you would, you would bless our time of response, that you would, you would use it to affect change in our lives. You would, you would open our eyes to realize that you have an answer for our difficult circumstances. And I just pray, God, that for those of us, for those in here who do not know you, that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to know you for the first time. That we would realize there's no re- more excuse for me continuing in my path of bitterness. There's no more reason for me to stay angry. Because you are working out something beautiful. You are working out something perfect, and you are going to make me whole. So God, I just pray that you would you would save people this morning. You would give new hearts this morning. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing. We're going to give our tithes. We're going to take communion. But I want us to take the time to think about what is our reaction. When, when we're faced with something difficult, when we're frustrated by something, do we, do we get angry, bitter, do we check out, or do we like Ruth did, do we do we do we cling more tightly to our commitment? Do we do we grab, do we reach for Jesus and pull him closer and say, "Make me feel whole now." So let's go ahead and sing.